0: We are continuing in our series, and I want to just offer a brief prayer to God. Lord, we pray in this moment that your spirit would speak to us, that you would clear our minds, relieve the burdens of our hearts, so that we might be fully focused on you and be able to hear what you would want us to hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a question. It's actually a point of tension, and it's this. Why is asking for help so hard? Who here regularly likes to ask for help? The, the, the key word is regularly. You know, we all will ask for help at different times, but asking for help is very hard. And I'm sure that each of you and each of us have way too many examples of not asking for help, especially when we certainly needed to or should have. Many, many examples. One of the simple ones that uh, I did for today was having Pastor Karen asking for her help so that we didn't have to do too much back and forth. And she'll, later on after our message, uh, we'll have an opportunity to uh, facilitate communion for us as well. I know that I'm not the only one who struggles to ask for help. Sometimes we have this sense that it's just easier, many things, for us to do it ourselves. I remember when I was regularly teaching in the classroom and I got sick. Sometimes it was easier to still go to work sick and do my job, rather than try to prepare for someone else to come in and help out. It's all because of that simple yet sneaky mantra, and maybe you've said this before in your own mind, I've got this. And sometimes we say that when we probably shouldn't, even when we don't. I've got this. So we end up struggling, we struggle at whether it's at the store or at work, I know I've because the Lord has actually blessed me with a little bit of height when I'm at the store and I see someone, I I actually am able to grab the top shelf. Some of you that are perhaps vertically challenged understand that pain, and um, I actually saw a lady in Winco a while back who had like her own little mini step stool. Like a mobile step stool, and she used that to reach the top shelf. I certainly walked by and offered to get the can for her, but she didn't want help. Or sometimes you're at work and you don't want to ask for help, or you don't want to ask for help to get the proper directions to help you find your way. I know men often have this particular failing, not asking for help for directions. It's a strength, okay, okay. (laughs) Or we have tech issues that we don't want to ask for help. And so we we futz around with our computers or our phones trying to figure out what's going on when we really need to just ask the nearest young person around us. But it also goes far deeper than that. Because it's easy to not ask for help for those simple things and things that make us smile and almost seem a little silly. But when it goes deeper, that's when we struggle. We don't always seek help when we're struggling with mental and emotional health. We don't always seek help when we are grieving and we don't know how to deal with it. We don't always seek help when you're overwhelmed with children or other family responsibilities that are pushing you to your limits, right to your edge. You don't ask for help or you don't even know how to ask for help or we don't always seek help to address those recurring sins and temptations in our life. There's a phrase that I know contributes to our inability to ask for help. It's actually become kind of a generic cultural belief or understanding. You might even be able to fill in this sentence. God helps those who help themselves. You've heard of this before. This is a cultural belief or a cultural understanding. God helps those who help themselves. I don't know who came up with that phrase, but I really hope that we can come to an agreement right now. No. Just say no. Just don't. Not only is it way off of reality, but it also isn't from the Bible, and it's potentially damaging to ourselves and others. Why Because the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is inherently about us. It denies, actually, the reality of our total dependence, which should be on God. God's actual invitation to us is the opposite. A better way to say it might be, God helps those who desire God's help. If that is part of God's desire, then what does that mean for us? It means that we actually have to ask God for help. Prayer is one of those main ways that we talk with God, that we ask God. Last week we talked about praying for our needs. We ask God for what we need, and we trust that He will provide. Today we delve into the idea of praying for deliverance the things that keep us stuck or shackled or on repeat. We all need help. We all need God's healing and deliverance, and this means that we must ask him for it. Through prayer, we actually can receive deliverance and experience the freedom that God desires for us in this life. We know we will experience it fully in eternity, but we also can experience it sometimes totally and often in part in this life. Today we're going to look at a few verses in the book of Hebrews. We haven't been in this book for a while. This is in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through. And if you haven't read into Hebrews recently, I would really encourage you to do so. It's a wonderfully poetic book. It speaks about the Hebrew people's long-term relationship with the Most High God, And on the back of your bulletin, I I listed what I call the big idea of Hebrews. If we were to boil down the whole message of Hebrews, I would say it's this. Jesus is greater. Three words. Jesus is greater. Now, Hebrews has a lot more than three words. It compares Jesus to the angels and Moses, and to the high priest at the temple in Jerusalem, and in all ways, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater, greater than, superior to, the be-all and end-all, higher than. Because the writer of Hebrews wants each of us to come away from reading or hearing this book secure in the knowledge that Jesus is worthy of all your praise. Jesus can be trusted no matter what because he is faithful, always, full stop. Never unfaithful, always faithful. Now when Hebrews was written, the people of that time faced persecution Not persecution like many people claim to experience in this country. It's relatively minor compared to what people actually experienced. And the persecution that people were facing in that time was so much that they needed physical deliverance from all that was upon them. They were being attacked physically. They were under attack all the time. And they also needed spiritual deliverance from everything that held them back. For the Hebrew people, a lot of what was holding them back was all of the traditions and their conceptions of God that they had grown up with. And suddenly Jesus comes on the scene, he does a totally new thing, he dies and rises to life, resurrected to new life, and that challenged many of the people. It challenged all of their ideas about what God was doing in this world So if you have a Bible this morning or you have it on your phone, I encourage you to take a look at Hebrews 4. We're only going to look at three verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Some of you are thinking, whew, good, only three verses. But these are three jam-packed verses. Let me read this for us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Another word would be boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I'll stop there. We have a great high priest. There's a couple of things that I want to just quickly... Um, say about these verses. A couple of things that we can learn right away. The first is this. As the great high priest, Jesus connects us to God. We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus connects us to God. You could almost add another word in there. directly connects us to God. Why is this important, that Jesus does this, that Jesus actually connects us to God? This is where we have to almost take a step back and think about the time that this was written in. What a priest, especially in the Old Testament, did in their role of serving was to connect the rest of the community to God. They often were sometimes called the mediators between God and the people. And so they had this connecting role. And this is what Jesus actually does for us. Connecting us with God in a deeply profound and personal way. Now there were many, many priests, because the priests were also used to do all of the tasks associated with worship in the primary temple in Jerusalem, and then in the local synagogues as well. But out of all the priests in Israel, there was only one high priest What do we know about the high priest Well the high priest was the one who was able to get the closest to the presence of God that resided within the temple If you if it's been a while since you remember the temple arrangement think of a big space like this room this and then you have a smaller space inside and then you actually have a smaller space inside of that called the Holy of Holies. And the closer you get to the center is where the presence of God resided for a time. And the only person that could go into that Holy of Holies was the great was the high priest. And even then, that person could only go in once a year to atone for the sins of all the people and the sins personally for that priest. In fact, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie something to his leg so that if he died while he was in there, or if he was struck down for some reason, they would actually be able to pull him out and not defile the Holy of Holies, where God's presence resided. Now, dividing that place in the very center of the temple was a thick curtain and this was not a gauzy cloth like we have in our, on our side cloths. This was perhaps something that was several inches thick. A massive, think of like the giant, a giant rug that you have in your house. Think of something now like 10 of those piled together, all sewn together, to one massive curtain, dividing it from the rest of the temple. This was a barrier that was meant to keep us apart, us who are unholy, apart from the presence of God who is holy. An actual barrier. And it was the job of the priest to be that connection between God and us. Now, when we read these verses, Jesus takes on the role of the great high priest, He's the closest to God that anyone can ever be to the very point that, yes, he is God. And since he is God and he was one of us, is one of us, he is the great high priest. Jesus is how we approach the actual presence of God because he is God. Now that Jesus is in heaven, he still has that role and he still connects you to the living presence of God. We know that Jesus is more than just the great high priest. He also is one of us. He lived as a human being. And he also connects to us in that way. In fact, we could say Jesus has empathy for us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He's not a high priest that is so high and mighty That he doesn't know what you're feeling. That he doesn't know the pain that you're going through. Why? Because he was one of us. He lived the kind of life that we have as well. He understands because he was tempted like us. When you're reading the Bible, you see this early in his life when he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And we also see this at the very end of his life when he's facing the totality of suffering on the cross. Jesus, towards the end, asks the Father that, if there is a way, release me from this. Yet in obedience, he says, not my will be done, but yours, O Father. Jesus knows temptation and trial and struggle. We often focus when Jesus died on what happened three days later when he rose from the dead, and we should. But also when he died, a whole lot of stuff happened. It's been a while since we've read some of those sections of the Bible, so let me just summarize. What happened when Jesus died? Darkness fell. The earth shook. Tombs opened. And it says the bodies of many holy people were raised to life almost as like a precursor or helping people imagine what was going to happen to Jesus in just a few short days. And all of this would have been mind-blowing, awe-inspiring, terrifying in many ways. One thing in particular, though, happened that helps us connect that moment to our scripture this morning. When Jesus died, that curtain that we were talking about, it says, tore in two. Not like tearing a piece of paper, but it's actually tore from the top to the bottom. Those of you that have had a pair of jeans for a while, where typically do they start to fray earliest? The bottoms. That's the part that's actually easiest to, if you wanted to rip your jeans why would we do that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, As soon as we have to pay for them, we don't really want to do that anymore. But if we were to do that, it's, it's easiest to do it from the bottom to the, to the top. Here it says, the curtain or the veil tore in two from top to bottom. This was a defining moment in the history of creation. No longer was a barrier between God and humanity necessary. Remember in the Old Testament when we read about people approaching or getting close to the presence of God, what typically happened? They were, they were worried. They were afraid that if they got too close, what would happen to them? They would die. Because nothing that is unholy can stand and survive in the presence of the most holy God. Suddenly there's no barrier. You can imagine people at the temple would have been freaked out by this, thinking, oh no, the end is nigh, we're going to die here. But nothing like that happened. Jesus' death tore down that barrier and opened the way for us. Opened the way for us now to be able to live in the full presence of God without fear of death. Without fear of being struck down. At that very moment in history, through the death and eventual resurrection of Jesus, God made A way. A way to deliver us, redeem us, and perfect us. Because that veil was torn, what did people come to realize, especially those early Christians? I want to highlight just a couple of things. Some of these are going to seem very simple, but these were some things that people came to realize. Once that veil was torn, we now have direct access to God. Access is important. You know this to be true in your own life when you have access to certain things that you're hoping for. Having access to God might seem like a simple idea, but this wasn't how humanity was used to relating to God. It was those priests who were the link for us. We didn't need to get close to God because someone else was doing it on our behalf. And actually many people still operate or live that way today. But the Bible says that since Jesus is our great high priest, that when you pray, you're actually directly connected to God. No separation, no additional steps. You don't need me or anyone else to do anything on your behalf. Now, when we pray, we often do pray on other people's behalf. Not because we absolutely need to, but because we want to. We want to to intercede for other people. But each of us has direct access to God. Now you know that just because you have access to something doesn't mean a whole lot unless you utilize that access. So we learn, we also know a second thing, that we actually can approach God now with confidence. Or the other word we could put in is boldness. Maybe both and. Not only do you have access to God, but you have the ability to approach God. It says the throne, God's throne of grace, with confidence. Can you imagine approaching the throne of God confidently? Who's struggling with this idea Right now, I know sometimes I am, or I do. Approaching God with confidence is not something that we're always comfortable with for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the enemy actually tricks us into thinking that there's nothing holding us back, so we don't even need to approach God. We don't even need to think about it. That's a trick of the enemy. Or there might be something that actually keeps us from drawing close To God. It could be fear. I'm afraid to get too close to God. What will God say? Is God going to condemn me? Maybe it's doubt. Does God really love me? Is God really there? Maybe something that keeps you from approaching God is that nasty word, comparison well, what I'm going through isn't as bad as them. Or they're way worse off than me. I don't really need to approach God. Or we think, well, I don't have a major addiction like them, so my situation isn't as bad. It's probably fine. I'm okay. I'll leave approaching God to somebody else. Or perhaps you feel shame, a sense of feeling unworthy or undeserving of God's grace. The reality is that we are undeserving of God's grace, and He extends it to us, anyways. Now, if there are things that are keeping you from approaching God, I want you to know that those reasons are real. Those barriers are real things that can keep us from approaching God with confidence. And that's why the Word of God actually continues. The last part of this section of Hebrews that we read reveals what happens when we have the boldness to approach God's throne in confidence. What happens? It says we can receive God's help. No qualifications. If you approach God's throne of grace with confidence, you will receive his help when we trust God enough to pray for our deliverance, for those things that are keeping us stuck or shackled, God is faithful to extend his mercy and grace to help us, it says, in our time of need. Because let's face it, friends, we are in constant need of help. From the moment we are born and we need all help to the moment we take our final breath when we need a whole lot of help as well. We can't do it or go it alone in life, although we often try. Thankfully, Hebrews is a great book that points us in the opposite direction. It says, don't go it alone, because Jesus is greater. You can count on him, you can rely on him, but you have to ask for his help. See, Jesus created us, God created us with free will. We can choose whether to draw near to God or not. Now, I know that it pains God's heart if we choose not to draw close to him, but it simultaneously or oppositely uh, causes God's heart to swell or swoon with joy when we choose to draw near to him. God actually delights in helping us as his children. So, he encourages us to reach out in prayer to ask for his help. He wants you to trust that he can supply all that you need to be truly free, to receive his mercy in your time of need. So, the question we're left with this morning what is your time of need? What strongholds are keeping you stuck or trapped in an endless cycle of rinse and repeat? And while your particular circumstances are unique to you because you are an individual human being, there are common strongholds where receiving God's deliverance is needed. Here's just a short list. Anger. Apathy. Anxiety, addiction, control, comparison, cynicism, distraction, fear, greed, lust, people-pleasing, Ooh, that's a hard one. Pride. Ooh, that's a hard one too. Legalism. Ooh, that's a hard one too. They're all hard. Selfishness. Don't worry, I'm not going through the whole alphabet. I'll end here. Unforgiveness. Each stronghold, whether it's something on this list or one that is particular to you, is something that can actually take over our lives. It can, like, shackle us, keep us stuck making us feel like we are trapped without hope of deliverance. So in this moment, I want you to remember one thing, that you have a great high priest who understands you completely. God's throne of grace is certainly big enough to cover you, certainly big enough to cover whatever is holding you back. All it takes is for you to approach God's throne with confidence. Jesus can and does bring deliverance and healing in this life. I have seen it. Many of you have experienced it in some ways. We've even prayed for situations that might have seemed hopeless, only to see Jesus actually bring resurrection and new life to what appeared dead. Every time you experience that in this life, may that be an experience that fills you with confidence that Jesus actually can bring deliverance and healing in your life. Because his grace and mercy is abundant and sufficient for all. We also know that we live in a fallen world. We see it every day, we feel it. And sometimes we do not experience or see the kind of healing and deliverance that we truly desire. Maybe we only receive it in part. And we have to never minimize that when somebody experiences partial healing or no healing in the moment. We must never minimize the pain of that experience. Instead, we wait for Jesus to return we know that waiting is so hard, but while we wait we cling to his promise that he will return to make things all make all things new again. No more pain, hurt, crying, death, suffering, anything that cripples you right now will be will cease when Jesus returns to make things right. I want to end our time in the word by praying. You might actually find it helpful because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a moment to open your hands kind of like the picture up there on the front of your bulletin. This is, this is a posture of uh, one who is in need of God's help. And so in the stillness of this moment, I just want you to close your eyes You don't need to look around. There's no need to compare yourself to anyone else. Simply approach God. Each of us have particular strongholds that run on repeat, like a broken record or a runny nose during allergy season. You've tried to quit. You've tried to get it to stop, but it's still there. Maybe you've explored other avenues or committed to work on the practical ways, the physical changes or life routines. Maybe you've sought counseling, and all of that is good, and all of it may be necessary for you to experience the fullness of freedom. Yet in this moment, reach out to the God of the universe in prayer and in faith. Approach his throne. confident. And ask. Jesus, we come to you, our great high priest. We open our hands and we recognize that you actually are the one who holds our lives within your loving and tender hands because you know exactly what we face. We ask you to search us now, do your saving, healing work within allow our lungs to breathe the fresh air of the freedom you offer. Because, Jesus, you are greater. You are greater than our fear, stronger than our pride, greater than our lust, stronger than our greed, greater than our selfishness, and stronger than our temptations. We pray now in the name of Jesus for the barriers to fall and the shackles to come off, clearing the way ahead. O Lord, direct our steps. Help us to follow your way. Thank you for your love. For yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Church, in this moment, feel the roots of your faith digging deep, rejuvenated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Connecting you to the living God of the universe. Praise God, Church. Church, as we prepare to go, receive the blessing. You go now with God's blessing and under His care and protection. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord in all that you do, and say, and most importantly, who you are. Amen. Church, have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you again.